back. We want you here. Oh, okay. Uh, by the way, it is Brother Tim's birthday. Yeah. Yeah, since he's going to the bathroom, happy birthday. No, I'm just kidding. Go, go to Ephesians chapter. That'd be perfect, right? Sing to him right then. He can hear us, right? <laughs> Jabin, he can hear us. Let's sing anyways. Uh, Ephesians chapter number six. Ephesians chapter six. It's going to be in church. Amen? amen. If you don't enjoy church, then yeah, you ought to. You ought to. You ought to be able to enjoy church. Uh, Ephesians chapter six. I want to say this as well. I'm so, so thankful for the new members that we had joined with us on Sunday. Uh, that is such a blessing. You guys pray for them as they continue to walk with the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6, uh, let's start reading in verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, and this is going to be our final one, so this is it, guys. This has been our series on spiritual warfare and the armor of God, and we're coming to the end of it. Uh, you say, what are we going to start learning about next Wednesday night? you got to be here. No, I'm just kidding. I'll tell you. I'll, who wants to know? All right, we'll tell you. We're going to do a, a, a series called Seven Letters to Seven Churches, uh, looking at the churches that John writes to in the book of Revelation. So, there's a lot in there. Be here for that. Uh, but let's look at the content that God's given us tonight. Look at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And, and after he tells you where your enemy is at, and don't ever mistake this. The enemy's not here. All right, You're not the enemy. Uh, the enemy is the devil, and the enemy is the world, and the enemy, if you want to know who the biggest enemy in your life is, you know who it is? It's actually you. It's your old nature. Uh, but the Lord gives us some weaponry, He gives us some armor to understand how we can combat the old nature, how we can combat the world, and how we can combat the devil. Look, if you would, at verse number 13, Wherefore, taking you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. God does not want you to get blown over. A lot of Christians today just breathe on them and they go like this. Uh, you know what that is? It's called being thin-skinned. And the more that you walk with Jesus Christ, the less you think about yourself, the more you think about eternal things and spiritual things. And the more you engage in spiritual warfare, the tougher you can become as a Christian. Uh, no one becomes tough uh, by running from battle. You, you come tough, listen, you, go, you say, uh, what's courage? Courage isn't not having fear. Courage is being afraid and still fighting. Uh, that's courage. Uh, look, if you would, at verse number 14, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. We talked about how truth is what holds everything else up. Having on the breastplate of righteousness, guard your heart, wait your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, uh, taking the gospel, of, uh, going out offensively, if you will, not just defensively posturing yourself, but going out in the world and taking the gospel with you. Above all, taking the shield of faith, where we shall, ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. We talked about how the devil seeks to attack with doubt and depression and deception and division and throw those darts in your direction and take the helmet of salvation. It's, it's thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ coming back. And when you do that, it changes how you think. It keeps your mind pure. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, it's this book right here that's going to change you. And taking that out with you is an offensive weapon in the world. Now watch this. I believe this is the uh, least mentioned piece of armor uh, in the arsenal. Uh, and I think this because I, I think people kind of think, well, uh, he talks about the armor, and in verse 18 he switches gears. I think verse 18 is the completion of the armor of God. Uh, look at verse number 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. I'm going to talk about prayer tonight as one of the pieces of armor. And you look at the whole armor of God, it is not complete without prayer. Brother Joe, good to see you back. If you'd open us up in a word of prayer, sir.
Amen. Amen. Be seated if you would. Let me just say this about the armor. It's spiritual in nature. And, and because of that, and we've talked a lot about that, because of that, what you're looking at doing is you are, you are putting on, as you put on the new man and put off the old man, you are putting on really the, the pieces of the Christian life that reflect the character of Jesus Christ. Listen, when you got saved, one of the reasons that God saved you was to restore something that was lost to restore the image of God through Christ in your life. And so as you put on these pieces of, of armor, if you will, what you're doing is you are putting on, as the Bible says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things that epitomizes the Lord Jesus Christ is the, this very act of prayer. Uh, a matter of fact, I, I want to just kind of go, go back as far as the Bible is concerned. Uh, look at Genesis chapter 3. We're going to spend a little bit of time in Genesis because this is midweek Bible, right? Genesis chapter number 3. And I want to point out kind of a little bit of, if I could, history, the history of prayer just by way of introduction. And, and by, by the way, as I'm flipping back to Genesis, uh, I open my Bible and it just kind of accidentally opened the very first page. I'm looking at uh, Benjamin Valdez and Jacqueline Valdez, January 3rd, 2021. Your spiritual birthday is coming up. That's a blessing. Uh, Jeannie uh, had her birthday uh, November 24th. Amen. Spiritually speaking, three years old. She's a toddler. Amen. Amen. <laughs> All right, uh, look at Genesis chapter 3, and, and as you go there, just remember, this is uh, what happens as a result of sin. And, uh, and what happens as a result of sin is that fellowship is broken between man and God. The way that things used to work was this, man had direct connection with God. I know some of you already know this, but it's important to review. Uh, look at Genesis chapter 3, look if you would at verse number 8. The Bible says, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife, what did they do? They hid themselves. Uh, listen, this is the first interaction that man has after sin takes place with God. What, what I want you to get, though, there's a couple things there. Number one, here, here's what I want you to get. The way it worked before is that man literally walked with God. When we talk about your walk with God, we're talking about a spiritual journey, if you will. Once you're saved, you're, you are walking in fellowship. The Bible says, can two walk together except they be agreed? Uh, that's why you got to be careful who you walk with. Amen? Yeah. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. So when you are walking with God, we're talking about your fellowship with God. But you have to understand this. When we talk about this in Genesis, this is a literal physical thing that Adam did with God. He would walk with God and commune with him. And after sin, it was going to be different. Now, you have to understand this. The Bible says about Adam, I'm going to give you a little bit of history here, uh, that, uh, about Jesus Christ, rather, that Jesus is the last Adam. All right, we already know who the first Adam is. The first Adam is the uh, first uh, uh, cre uh, creature that God makes as far as mankind is concerned. And what does he do in the garden? He messes up. So what does the last Adam do? The last Adam has victory in the garden because he says this, not my will, but thine be done. Uh, one messes up in the garden. One makes it right in the garden. One dies for his wife the wrong way. One dies for his bride the right way, submitting the father's will. And we are saved because of that. All right, so there's a correlation when you look at the first Adam and the last Adam, and here's the problem. When you're born, you're in his image, and when you're born again, the only way you can get restored to this image is by coming to the cross of Jesus Christ. You get saved, and you get the image of the last Adam. Understand when the first Adam sinned, fellowship with God was broken. Understand this. Uh, over in Hebrews, it talks about the fact that uh, Adam was crowned. That's the word that it uses, all right? Uh, crowned, thou crownest him, all right, a little lower than the angels, talking about Adam. You say, what does that mean? It means that Adam was kind of like a king. And you say, what did Adam have? Well, Adam was given the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven all at once in that garden. And when Adam sinned, I'm not going to do an exhaustive study on the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven tonight, but when Adam sinned, you know what ended up happening? What ended up happening is God says, I will not allow this to be how my kingdom is ushered in. 
And so God says, okay, we're going to move that back up here to heaven. And again, you don't see God offering a kingdom to people until after Abraham, and he does it through the nation of Israel. And then we know, as the Bible says in Lamentations chapter 3, that when Israel turns their back on God, uh, and there's, there's so, listen, uh, when you look at the Old Testament and what Israel does to the Lord, there are so many spiritual lessons to the church today and how we should respond to God in the time of apostasy. All right. Uh, that said, what the Bible says about Israel is the crown is fallen. All right. So you know what God does? God says, OK, I'll take that kingdom right back up uh, to heaven with me uh, where it belongs until I send my son, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the line of the tribe of Judah. And so when he comes, that little baby in a manger doesn't stay baby forever. And he grows up and he resists the temptation and he rejects the offers from the devil. And let me just say it right now as a Christian, one of the biggest things you're going to struggle with is, is, is when God wants to give you something and you know it's for you, but you don't want to wait on God's timetable and you want to jump the gun and take what God wants for you, but you want it out of order. That'll get you in trouble more than anything else. It's one of the tricks the devil uses because... You can look at it and honestly say, well, God wants that for me. God is going to give that to me. And the answer is yes, but not now. So the devil comes to Jesus Christ. and He says, if you worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. And you know what Jesus Christ could have done? Well, they're going to be mine anyways. Aren't you glad he didn't take the bait? Amen. All right, so he resists that. And so what does Jesus Christ do? He offers the kingdom of heaven uh, to Israel and offers a spiritual kingdom as well. Well, Israel rejects their Messiah. So God says, okay, it's not time for the kingdom of heaven right now, but we're going to leave the kingdom of God, and it's going to be something uh, that is found in your hearts. Uh, the Bible says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and joy and the Holy Ghost. You say, what is it? It's in you. It's not external. All right. So you are ushered into this kingdom, all right, through what? Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You are ushered into that through a spiritual transaction, not a physical one. All right. Uh, your first birth is physical and you're in Adam. Your second birth is spiritual and you're in Jesus Christ. All right. So now, now think about this. When Adam sinned, you say, what happened? Fellowship was broken. So what happens after after it, it, it before fellowship was broken, the way it worked was a God shows up and me and God are going to talk at a certain time of day. It says that in the cool of the days when God showed up. All right, so, so think about this. There's a routine time. Look at uh, Genesis chapter number 4. Go to Genesis chapter 4. You're pretty close. Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. And look, if you would, at verse number uh, 26. Verse number 26. Uh, and to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name what? That, that's Enoch, okay? And look what it says. Then began men to do what? Call upon the call upon the no. no, no, no. <laughs> right, let's do this all together, shall we? We got the same book, right? right? All right, let's look at verse 26. Then began men to what? Call, call upon the name of the Lord. Lord. All right? All right, good. So 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 this is when man starts calling on God. Why? Because God's not physically there anymore. Because man sinned. And so what does man do when he calls? Look at Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. When we call on someone, you're doing you're wanting to communicate with them. All right. Back in the day when uh, uh, a young couple was dating, uh, a man would say, I'd like to call up on you. Uh, you say, what does that mean? That means he wants to date her. All right. You say, what is it? It's communication. Uh, some of you single guys are taking notes. Call on her. Right. Uh, look at Romans 10 and look, if you would, at verse number 13. I know some of you have this verse memorized and that's great. Uh, it's actually a quote from Joel chapter 2 that Paul applies uh, to a spiritual transaction in the New Testament. But look at uh, Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon thee, what? All right, so when someone does that, they're going, uh, Lord, would you save me? You say, what is that? They are calling on the name of the Lord. They are communicating to the Lord. You say, what is another word for that? I'll tell you another word for that. It's called prayer. And listen, uh, before man sinned, it was literally almost similar to what you read about over in Exodus. There's, a, there's an exception in the book of Exodus. You know what God says to, about Moses? I'm going to speak to him like a man speaks to his friend face to face. 
And there's an exception there, but the rule is that man calls on the name of the Lord. Uh, Think about this. Uh, The law was the standard from the Old Testament. Is that not true? All right, let me ask you a question. Uh, What two sins, if certain of you Bible students, what two sins were there no sacrifices for? Adultery and what? Murder, Murder, all right? She's got that memorized because if if a man ever commits (laughs) adultery, she's going to murder them. Amen, amen. All right, she's got down, all right? So adultery and murder were the two things that if 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 a person does these, there's no sacrifice, they have to be killed. Question, who did that in the Old Testament? Stands out in your mind, David. Did God kill him? All right, so there are exceptions to the rule. But the rule generally is this. All right, if you want to talk to God, you pray. You call on the name of the Lord after man's sin. That's how it works. Uh, Moses might be an exception to that, but the general rule of thumb still is what it is. Look at Genesis 4 and go back to the beginning of the chapter. Uh, now, now, here's the question, because uh, we're going to get into some, some neat stuff here in a little bit as far as typology is concerned and how prayer is, is typified or how you see a symbol of prayer in the Bible. Uh, but, but understand this, you know the story of Cain and Abel. And, uh, of course, we know that Cain is of that wicked one, the devil, and there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, but look at Genesis chapter 4, and look, if you would, at verse number 3. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the kale of the ground, sorry, fruit, fruit of the ground, an offering unto the Lord, and Abel, he also brought of the firstling of his flock, and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel, and to his offering, but on a cane, and to his offering, he had not, like Ronnie Dangerfield, remember that? No respect. He had no respect. God did not respect Cain's offering. Now, here's what you have to ask yourself. How is it that Cain knew that God respected his brother's offering, but did not respect his? Now, you know how God would answer in the Old Testament? Uh, think about this. Remember when Elijah gets up there and he goes, so let's have a contest. And let's see whose God is real. If your God's real, then he'll show up. And here's how he's going to show up. He'll bring fire on the altar. You know what God does in the Old Testament? God says, don't use any strange fire. In other words, you guys don't start your fire on your own. Because if you do it, it's corrupt. I'll start the fire. And you take that fire and you use that to light everything else. If the fire doesn't come from me, it's strange. Right? And it's a great picture of worship. There's a lot of strange fire going on in churches today. Things that, that are called worship that God goes, I'm nowhere near any of that stuff. I did not call that down. You conjured that up. Those are different things. Now, now the way God answers, he answered with fire. So you know what happens? Uh, Cain gets out there and he goes, here's my kale. Here's my tomatoes. Here's my, I keep mentioning kale, sorry. Um, here's, my, here's my corn and here's my wheat and here's my this. And, he, and here's my grapes, and here's my mangoes, and here's my guava, and here's my, you know, strawberries, and here's this, and here's that. And he brings all of it up and lays this big old basket up there, and he's like, all right, God, go. And you know what it's like? It's like when someone's not walking with the Lord, and they come to church, and it's like dead. And you're like, this church just ain't what it used to be. No, you ain't what you used to be. <laughs> And then Abel, look, at if, if the problem's the church, then how come this guy over here has got fire falling down? Yeah. He looks over there, and he sees that God answered Abel. He said, what are they doing? They're calling on the name of the Lord. One gets an answer, and one doesn't. You say, why? One does it his way, and one does it God's way. One says, I'll come to God when I feel like it, how I feel like it, in the manner that I choose. And the other says, Lord, I'm coming your way. Now, listen. I'm not trying to beat you up. Everyone's got different schedules. But we're going to look at some things that I hope will encourage you to understand. You don't give God the leftovers of your life. He ought to get the best. I don't care if you're talking about your money, your career, your time, your family. Listen, when you, you know what a lot of Christians do? They tip God. And then you, you, you go, I don't, God, where are you at? God wants to show up. He wants to bring the fire down. But you've got to follow his instructions to get the fire. So when we're talking about prayer, let me say this. It's a, it's a very instrumental part of, of the relationship that man has with God. And you can't have it the right way, number one, without being saved. Amen? Yeah. 
And secondly, there's a way to approach God. We're going to look at that. But I want you to understand this. God wants you to have this in your life. He does not want you being a cold, stale, dead, Laodicean Christian that's lukewarm and approaches church and the Bible and your prayer life like, well, whatever. That's not how God wants you to approach it. God wants you to approach it. Look, uh, there's this word right here. The effectual, fervent... Prayer of a righteous man availeth what? Much. Much. All right, you say, where's that, that word fervent? Where does it come from? Think of it like this. All right, I don't need to go to the original Greek. Fiebre. Right? All right, you say, what is that? Fever. You know what God wants? You ought to have a prayer life that's warm, that's personal. Now look. You got little kids. And they go, thank you out for this food. Thank <laughs> Now, when they're little, it's okay. But when they get to be about seven, eight, nine, ten years old, every once in a while, you know, I've caught myself doing, hey, hey, can I ask you a question? What, Dad? Um, would you like it if I talked to you like this? Hi, how are you? I hope you had a good day. Good to see you. Bye. No, you wouldn't. So why do you talk to God that way? And, and no, look, the kid doesn't, the kid's just doing, uh, first off, if they pray at all, praise the Lord, okay? I'm not picking on the kid. I'm just trying to say, as parents, we look at it, we go, okay, now that you're getting older, I want to kind of usher you into this understanding that prayer is personal. And there should be some heat there. It shouldn't be cold. And it should, you, some of you, you know, some of you got, you lost that love and feeling. Some of you married folks, you know what you say? Oh, it's just not like it used to be. Well, what are you doing about it? You know, the old analogy of the farmer driving down the, the road and his wife is, is married for 50 years, you know, and, and when they first get married, boy, she's basically sitting in his lap and she's holding on to him and her head's on the shoulder, you know, and 50 years down the road, she's looking out the window. It's just not like it used to be. And without even looking over, he goes, I never moved. Can I just say this? If your prayer life's stale, God's not moved. He's exactly where you left him. When it comes to prayer, let me say this, an important part. Now, consider this. There is a distinction between Old Testament and New Testament. Look at Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. By the way, if you join a membership here at New Heights Baptist Church, we want you to get some of these. Brother Sean will get them for you. All right? If you habitually speed, we've got some Calvary Chapel stickers for you. <laughs> so when you get pulled over, you can tell them that's where you go to church. All right? Uh, look at, uh, I'm just kidding. Calm down, people. Hebrews Hebrews chapter number 10, Hebrews chapter number 10, I want to show you kind of this, this distinction that you find from the Old Testament to New Testament. And by, by the way, the, the, the theme of Hebrews is better. Uh, you know what you have in the New Testament? A better priesthood, a better sacrifice, uh, I, 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 really a better covenant, a better everything because of Jesus Christ. All right, now look at Hebrews chapter number 10, and, and let me show you, in the Old Testament, do you know what you had to do? You had to go to a priest. You couldn't just walk in there and offer your own sacrifice. You had to stop, and you had to, you had to give to the priest all right, the sacrifice that God required according to the law, and it was the priest's job to intercede on your behalf and bring that sacrifice on your behalf before God. I am so thankful I'm not in the Old Testament anymore. I am so thankful I can go directly to God. And, and, and in spite of sin, and in spite of the, 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 the fellowship that was broken and all of that, I can go. Now listen, understand this as well. Understand that whenever man broke fellowship with God, there were two things that were broken. Communication and fellowship with God and the image of God himself. When you read Genesis 1.26, you know what it says? In the image, let us make man in our image. God talking to God within the, the, the Godhead, if you will, about man. He says, let us make man in our image. So when Adam was first formed, he was formed in the image of God. Over in Genesis 5, you know what it says? When Adam has a son, he has one after his own likeness and after his own image. The image of God is not found outside of Jesus Christ. And so here we are on the New Testament side of things. You cannot ignore when someone says the Old Testament is the same as the New Testament. They're not, either they don't know or they're not being intellectually honest. I'm going to tell you right now, this is way better. This is way better on this side of the cross than on that side of the cross. 
And I could keep listing all the reasons, but here's one. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, and look, if you would, at verse number 11. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 11. And every priest standeth daily, ministering, and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away what? Oh, but look at verse number 12. I like the, the fact that verse 12 starts with the word, but, but this man. That's a, that'd be a great title of a message, but this man. But this man. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Do you know what they did in the Old Testament? The same sacrifice is over and over and over and over. Understand this. This priesthood was put in place by the law. And this priesthood was led by sinners. And this priesthood offered weekly sacrifices. And this priest, you know what they were? They were the mediators. They were the go-between. They were the thing that, that you want to go to God, you go to them. And they're sinners like you. You know what's wrong? If I could put a synopsis with, with the way the Catholic Church looks at the priesthood, they're still, they're still over here. I'm not picking on them. I've got some great family. I believe there's some family of mine that's Catholic. Uh, there's a jack wagon that doesn't understand Bible and, and is, is, uh, misrepresents what is scriptural truth. And, and I've heard people say this. Well, at that church, they believe everyone's lost. It doesn't go to a Baptist church. I don't believe that. Matter of fact, I don't believe all the Baptists are saved. Amen. Uh, but, but, you know, let me just say this much. Uh, if, you're, if you're trusting Jesus Christ and the shed blood to save your soul, you're saved. Amen. I don't care what your label is. But let's be honest about doctrine. When it comes to the priesthood, the Catholic Church doesn't have it right. They're still stuck back here. I don't go to a man anymore. I don't go to a... Listen, if, if Brother Joe came up to me and said, ah, please, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. I'd say, Psh, what's wrong with you? You know, what's wrong? What's going on to you, Joe? You know, like, you say, why? Because I rise up, as Peter said, when a guy falls down before him, get up, for I'm a man also. You don't go to a man anymore. You go directly to Jesus Christ. Amen. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. What a contrast. As far as prayer is concerned, you would, you would, it wasn't that people did not call on the Lord directly, but, often, but the, the idea is this. When it came to the sacrifices and someone being able to communicate on behalf of sinners for sins to be uh, purged, for sins to be atoned for, that went through a priesthood. I am thankful I no longer have to go to a man to do that. Hebrews chapter 4. Now listen, I'm thankful that God gives us men to instruct us, to guide us, and to help us, and to edify us, and all that. But I don't go to a man to get my sins forgiven. I go to one man. His name is Jesus Christ. Amen. Hebrews 4, look at verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great, what are the next two words? High priest. High priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Why? For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, what was in all points tempted, like as we are yet without sin, let us therefore come how? Under the th now listen, get a hold of this. You don't go boldly to the throne of grace in time of need because of you and your greatness. You go boldly. He doesn't even mention you. He mentions him. <laughs> the reason you can go boldly is because of what he did on your behalf. So when we talk about prayer, understand this, what a great privilege that it is. Uh, look at uh, Luke chapter 1. Let me give you this as a kind of an illustration, if I can. Luke chapter number 1. And, and we talked about this on Sunday, that when, when God deals with Zechariah and Elizabeth and uh, about John the Baptist, we understand that when Zechariah is dealt with, he is in the temple. And what is it that he's doing? Uh, when he's in there, he, he's in there on behalf of the people, and he's executing the office of an Old Testament priest. And look at Luke chapter 1, verse number 7. Luke chapter 1, verse 7. The Bible says they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both now well stricken in years. Can it pass? So while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, a custom, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn what? When he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without. I mean, when, when he's inside the temple, lighting that incense, they're outside the temple. You know what they're doing? They're praying. You know, in, you know what the picture of prayer is in the Bible? You know what the type is? You know what the symbol of prayer is in the Bible? Incense. You know what incense was? It was a, a, a matter of, of getting certain elements and, and crushing those things. That's the picture of prayer. And bringing those things, and it's a certain apothecary, it's a certain mixture of things that God said he wanted. You didn't pick it, he does. 
And he says, okay, I want you to bring these things, and I want you to light this incense, and here's how I want you to do it. And that incense is oftentimes a parallel or associated with prayer. Think about this. If God communicates with us by sending on the fire, how do we communicate with him? Now, let me tell you this right now. If a, if a person dies without Jesus Christ, you know what's going to happen? The smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. But if you're saved, you know what you have? You have direct access to God. And when you pray, you know what you're doing? You are offering up incense before the Lord. And let me just say this much. Some of our prayers, you know what they smell like? Beautiful and a sweet-smelling savor before the Lord. Can I be honest with you, though? Well, I know I mentioned this recently. You walk into a boy's room. You know boys and girls are different. You go to a girl's room after she slept all night, someone's like roses and perfume. You go into a boy's room, it's like someone died. And let me just tell you, when you go to pray before the Lord, he's smelling it. No one else is. You see, you can play church. And I'm going to tell you, I've watched some of you. Some of you are slipping. And I love you. And I don't, I'm not saying this to hurt you. You know what the real problem is? Your fellowship with the Lord. You know, you can't. I, I just told my dad this. I, I don't want to be crude in how I present this. But a young lady was uh, walking the parking lot of my where I work at. And she had one of those hijabs on. She was covering her, her head as a, as a Muslim young lady. But I, and I'm not going to describe her, but I'll just say this. The rest of her was not covered well at all. You know what that shows me? You can't legislate spirituality. You can't say, do this piece of clothing or do this and do that, and you're spiritual. It's a desire on your part to know God. And I'm going to tell you right now, you can't do that without prayer. Because you know what happens when you get down and you start talking to God and you start revealing things from your heart? You know, he already knows him. Yeah, but it is cleansing for you. Because as you do that, the Lord is going, this is who you are, and this is who I want you to be in Jesus Christ. And when you cut out prayer out of your life, you know what's going on? It's like going to the temple, and there's no incense, incense, and there's no fire. You say, what is it? It's cold, and it's dark, and it smells. You ever leave a space to itself? You ever go on vacation and come back, and it's like the house just smells weird? Yeah. And you wonder, what is it? There's just no life. It just gets stale. You know what spiritually you're like when you're not in prayer? Same thing. The lights are on, but nobody's home. And things aren't where they ought to be. Listen, this, this, uh, this idea is this, Christian. The picture of prayer in the Bible is incense. You say, what are the people doing outside? They're praying. What is, what is Zacharias doing? He's lighting up the incense. Now, understand this. Zacharias is a picture of something. Do you realize there are two things going on? All right? Number one. It's a picture of Jesus Christ as my high priest. And when I approach God, you know what I have to do? I pray to the Father in the name of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all three are involved. All right? Listen, you know what Jesus does? He is ever, the Bible says he ever liveth to make intercession for me. You know what that means? That means all the time. All the time. All right? Let me say this as well. The Bible talks about the time of incense, and I'm not going to have you run all the references, but in the Old Testament, you know what you find out? Morning, eight, I'll just say this, a.m. and p.m. You know what they had? They had a time that they offered up incense in the morning and the evening. And you say, what's going on in between that time? Sacrifices. You know what it's a picture of? The Bible says you are to be instant in prayer. It's not just a once a week thing. It's not just a when I feel like a thing. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to get to some things here in a little bit, the priority of prayer, and we'll get there. But I'll just say this much. God cares about how things are done. God wants them done in a certain order. Let me just ask you a question. If the first thing you do in the morning is look at your phone, or the first thing you do in the morning is get out of bed and complain, or the first thing you do in the morning is watch the news, or the first thing, fill in the blank, whatever it might be. It doesn't have to be some awful, wicked, evil sin. But the first thing you do is you are conditioning your mind to be thinking things below the sun and to be feeding the flesh. You're going to be fighting that thing all day long. What if you hit it the right way and said, God, I'm offering up incense the right way first thing? Two different approaches to the Christian life. All right. Listen, you, the Bible says he's made us a royal priesthood and a holy nation. So you know what that means? 
That means that you approach God and you go directly before his throne into that temple and you offer up incense. There's two pictures there in, in, in what you see there in, in, uh, in Luke chapter 1 as far as Zechariah is concerned. One is Jesus Christ himself and the second is you. Only one person can light it. Jesus Christ lighted it, lit it originally for you. You're the one who has to light it every day. Do you realize I can't go home with you and light it for you? You got some great men and women in this church that are very good encouragement. They cannot go home with you and light that incense. You have to light it. Can, can I say this? There should be some time set aside, and it should be more than once a day. Can, can I point out, look at verse number 11. The Bible says, there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side. Do you realize God wants to reveal some things to you that won't be revealed unless you're willing to pray? I want God to show me it. I want God, okay. You know what I've learned about Christians? They ask other people to pray about things that they're not praying about. And I don't mean to be offensive, but you know what some of you do? You go on Facebook and talk about your problems before you go to God. That's not the way to live the Christian life. You know what you're doing? You're shortcutting, you're bypassing God's means of giving you what you need to get through what you're going through. And I'm going to tell you right now, people can't light that for you. And can I say this? Prayers are not always answered instantly. The Bible says in verse number 11 that that angel was there, and he says, I, I know what you've been praying about. You know what incense is? It's a picture of a slow-moving thing. And you know what? You know what prayer is? Prayer is slow. Uh, you don't always like it because it's slow. You want the... You want the colors and the... And you want... God, teach me the Bible in 30 seconds on TikTok. Boom, go. That's not how the Christian life works. You know, some things move slow. And, and let me say this, it is a privilege to be able to pray. Yeah. How about this? Well, over there in the Old Testament, you know what Hannah does? The Bible says she goes in that temple, and she starts moving her mouth. And Eli is so backslidden, he's the preacher, he ought to know better. He looks at her and goes, oh, she's drunk. And she goes, I'm not drunk. You know what it says? You know what she says? I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've poured out my soul before the Lord. You know what the privilege is, Christian? You are poor. You can pour your soul out before the creator of the universe, the only one that can actually do something about your issues. Amen. You, know, you know what the privilege is to unload your burdens? If we confess our sins, he is faithful. Imagine going to a, a, another person, another man, and saying, I said this, and I thought this, and I thought this, and I, I, I dreamed this, and I, I fantasized about it, and I, I did this to this person, and that person's a sinner. I'm taking my sins to a sinless holy, harmless, undefiled high priest on my behalf, and he washes me clean every single time. Amen. Such a blessing. Uh, and listen, let me say this. It is a privilege because you get guidance from the Lord through prayer. Uh, there are times where you, you can look at verses in the Bible, and I think you ought to. And you know what? There's something about getting on your knees and going, God, I read this, I saw this, and I want your direction, and I don't know if I can really put it into words the right way, but how God responds through the moving of the Spirit in our lives and shows us things supernaturally because we're willing to stop like Moses was when that fire showed up in that bush and he turned aside to see that great sight. That is what prayer is about. It's stopping what you're doing to see what God wants for you. I think too, too often people, Christians, miss out on it. You say, why? Because I can't check a book. It's not like... When I go to church, it's like it's visible. Even reading my Bible, I'm, I'm, I'm getting somewhere. I started here. I got here. You know what prayer, you know what's so challenging about prayer? Oh, it's a privilege. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> you can present your knees to the Lord. But you know why it's such a challenge? Because it's not like I'm ever really actually done. I, I have to kind of stop, and, and I, it goes on throughout the day. And so it's this thing that just kind of keeps moving. It's how it ought to work. You know the problem, look at Acts chapter 16. I want to show you some problems that come up in regards to prayer. Acts chapter 16. Christian, can I ask you a question? Before you, you date someone, you, ought to, you, you know you ought to pray about that? Do you realize before you take a job, you ought to pray about that? Do you realize before you put something on your body, you ought to pray about that? Do you realize before you put stuff in your body, you ought to pray about that? Do you realize when you start forming relationships and friendships with people, you ought to pray about those friendships? Do, do, do you think about that, or is it just kind of, well, it just happens? 
First off, nothing just happens. You gravitate towards things for a certain reason in your life. You ought to pray. You ought to bathe your life in prayer. Now, let me just say this. I'll get this out of the way right now. You don't have to pray, God, should I be a witness for you? God, should I go to church today? You may have to pray about how you go to church and the spirit in which you go. You may have to pray about, Lord, would you open the right doors with the right people and, and, and move the right people in my life so I can bring the word of God? That's worth praying for. But there's some things that you and I, I the reason I mention that is because I can tell you, I've been doing this for a while, and there are Christians who say, well, you know what, preacher? I put the force field of, uh, 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 of myself around me. You say, what is that force field? You say, what is it? I prayed about it. <laughs> yeah, but you prayed about something that's unbiblical. So you know what God said? Knock it off. Sorry you didn't listen, but the Bible says, that's why you pray, listen to me, according to his will. That's why he supernaturally gave you 66, not 67, not 65, not the book of Enoch, those books right there. Amen. So you would know what the will of God is for your life. So when you go down on your knees and say, God, I, I want this in my life. I don't want this. Lord, how should I move? You should say, Lord, I want to do this according to your will. According to your will. You know, I love the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Now, you and I both know. I'm just going just gonna to get it out there. Right? It's just reality. The longer you know someone, the harder it is to have pity for them. Why are you laughing? So yesterday, I'm, I'm just like this, like an old man. I'm walking. I'm not making this up. I, I could not do anything yesterday. I had to change Olivia's diaper, which meant I had to get down like this. And then I, I couldn't quite get all the way over. So my dad, Vietnam vet, is like, where do I put the diaper? I'm like, I don't know. You know, here we are trying to do this thing, just two guys in a bathroom trying to figure out how to get. And I'm all, I get home after that, and my wife comes home, and she's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I'll tell you what's wrong with me. I'm almost dead. <laughs> what, what happens, though, all joking aside, after you get to know some frauds, you have a little bit less pity with them. Aren't you glad that you go to the Lord and he always has pity on you? Yes. What a privilege. All our sins and griefs to bear. You, you want to, listen, brothers and sisters in Christ, we have the same problem. It's not just married people. You get to know each other, and you, it's just like siblings, you know? I, I see something happen, you know, and, and you know, Ethan falls down. Oh, Ethan's our soccer player. You see, what does that mean? You, you barely push. Ah! Red card, you know? And, and, and so that happens with Ethan, and Emma's like, oh, whatever. If grandma or grandpa's there, hi, bendito. You say, what is it? Familiarity. You get to know each other for a while, and you kind of go, well, that person's just kind of that way. Aren't you thankful God doesn't treat you that way? What a privilege to carry everything to, God, everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I've known people that have met famous people. You know what they do? They take pictures. They post them online. And then for like several months, all they do when they run into someone, do you know who I met? Oh, let me tell you what happened. It's kind of like the big fish story. It's like this, and it gets like this, and it gets like this, you know, and it gets a little bit more extravagant every time. You ought to approach God that way. I get to talk to the creator of the universe whenever I need to. And you don't have to like me or love me or anything. You could spit on me, and I still have him. You see, what is that? that's the privilege of prayer. But I'm going to tell you this right now. It doesn't come naturally. Do you know why? Prayer is an act of faith. Your flesh hates faith. Flesh and faith don't go together. Flesh is, I'll do what I need to do. Faith is, I wanna, I'm going to trust God. Flesh says, I'll handle it on my own. Faith says, but God. Flesh says, I don't need him. Faith says, yes, I do. All right? So, so they, don't, they don't go together. They don't mix very well. All right? Look at Rome, uh, Acts chapter 16. Let me just show you something here uh, in regards to uh, the act of faith. Listen, I read this from E.M. Bounds. He, he wrote some great stuff on prayer. He said, spiritual work is taxing work, and men are loath to do it. Praying 
True praying costs an outlay of serious attention and of time. How much time are you giving to prayer? Sweet hour of prayer. How about sweet 30 seconds of prayer? Which flesh and blood do not relish. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Can I say it's contrary to the flesh because it's an act of faith. The things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. So you know what I want to see? What's the 401k look like? What does the bank account look like? What does this look like? What is that? That's, that's eyes of flesh. I'm not saying those things are evil. I'm just saying that's what our eyes are drawn to. And what we don't always want to look at is the things that we can't control and the things we can't lay our physical stinking hands on. And God goes, that's where I want your attention. And you can't do it without prayer. Look at Acts 16. And, and I want you to notice and look at Acts 16. Look at verse number, uh, let's see here, verse number 13. And on the Sabbath, we went out. This is Paul and, and, and uh, Silas. Uh, and on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And you say, what is that? Want just means it was customary. It was, it was the habit. Prayer was wont. That's where they had prayed before. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted hither. Now, now there's a great story about Lydia, Lydia getting saved and, and following the Lord in baptism and all that stuff. I don't want to take anything away from that. But I, I, I got to ask the question, did they pray when they got there? You know what the answer is? No. I right, Look, if you would, at verse number 16. I'm not taking away from being a witness for the Lord. But let me just tell you, they didn't get to pray when they wanted to pray. Look at verse 16. You know what gets in the way sometimes? People. And let me just say right now, I'm not taking away from the story. I'm not taking away from what God did. But I will say this. If you're not careful, that phone will buzz first thing in the morning. And you'll think about the people, the people, the people, the people. And God saying, what about me? What about our time? What about our fellowship? In my mind's eye, the way I've got the Abraham Isaac thing going is that Abraham begged God and, and asked God and, and pleaded to God for a son. And then God gives it to him. And time goes by. And that time that Abraham used to spend asking God for a son, Abraham now spends exclusively with the gift that God gave him. And he ignores the giver that gave it to him. Christian, does that not sound like us? God, would you, God, would you, God? And then God does. It's like, all right, God, see you. I'm good. Look at Acts 16. Look, if you would at verse 16, can I say this? Sometimes the interruptions that come your way are opposition that are spiritual in nature. It came to pass as we went to prayer. We're going to pray a second time. You get this? We went to prayer a second time. A certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination. In the original Greek, it says she was a teenager. <laughs> met us. Which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. You say, what ends up happening? Well, they end up eventually casting this devil out of this young lady. And it gets the attention of her masters because they made money out of her being demon-possessed. Which, if you want to look at why the world's such a mess right now, is because people are making money off of young people staying under the control of Satan. And that's what you see going on right there. But can I ask you a question? Did they get to pray at that moment? You know what's funny? I'm going to tell you when they got to pray. They got thrown into prison. Look at verse 25. Can I just be honest with you? You know what the problem is? If you're, if you're not careful, you'll let everything get in the way of your prayer life. And eventually, hey, thank God, better late than never. But, but can I just point out, they don't get to pray until midnight. In a prison cell. And, and yes, God does absolutely use that. But here's what I want you to get. Here's what we say sometimes. We do say this. All we can do is pray. Brother, that, that is everything you can do. Almost as if prayer was like, ah, oh, I tried everything else. I guess I have to pray now. <laughs> I tried this, and, I tried, and at midnight, finally, I'm going to go ahead and I'll, I'll start praying. Cr Christian, can I say this? We have it backwards. Prayer should be the first thing, not the last thing. And, and, and can I say this? God does use the power of prayer to be a testimony. There's no doubt that God does that in Acts chapter 16, and I don't want to take away from that. But the truth is this. Oftentimes, it's our last resort instead of being a priority. Look at Psalm chapter 63. I'm going to challenge some of you. I know that Miss Lacey did a, a study with you ladies about this. I know everybody's got different schedules. 
Uh, but I'm going to tell you right now, God should be first. If you wake up because of your schedule at uh, 10 o'clock in the morning because you worked at all night, praise God. 10 o'clock, 10.01 a.m., you should be on your face before God. I don't have time. You don't make time. You make time to eat. You make time to take a shower, I hope. You take time to do a lot of things. You take time to get on Facebook. You take time to get on your apps. You, get, you take time to call people you want to talk to. If you got time for all that, you got time to pray. You're not making time to pray. And don't give me the excuse, I'm just not a morning person. Let me, let me tell you something, all right? No one's a morning person. Okay, quit telling yourself that. You are oh, just not a morning person. You know what that means? You got away, maybe because your parents were sleeping in for way too long. Instead of saying, I will do what is right, and I will sacrifice, as the brother mentioned, a little bit of my sleep. Why? Because I want to pursue God. I pursue my job, and I pursue money, and I pursue relationships. Why not God, and why not first? Why is it last? I'll read my Bible when I can. I'll pray when I can. You don't approach your job that way. And if you did, you wouldn't have a job very long. Psalm chapter 63 Look if you would at verse number one, Psalm chapter 63, and I want to point out something to you that I think you need to get a hold of. And uh, I understand not everybody here is a morning person, but can I just point out to you, no one is by nature. You, you make that. Now you can make, oh, I know this guy, he always got up early, fine. Okay, but generally speaking, people like sleep, like we like to eat, okay? Anything that pleases the flesh, we like. Sleep pleases the flesh. Child waking up at 2 a.m. screaming, not pleasing to the flesh. Okay? So, so, so when the alarm goes off at 5 or 4.30 or whatever, and you're like, do I get up, do I not? Ask yourself, how much does it matter that you have a walk with God? Psalm 63, look at verse 1. Oh, God, thou art, what's the next word? It's personal. Early. You get that? Early. I realize early for some might be different hours depending on what you have to get wake up for your job and all that kind of stuff. But whatever early is to you, early will I seek thee. You know what some of you think? Well, whenever I'm done with high school, then I'll, you know. I, 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 we Do whatever you want in your house. We're trying as best we can to teach our kids God's first. And, and so you go, well, whenever I'm, I'm done with high school, and then I get to college. I got all this, these new classes I got to take, and I, I don't have as much time. Then I get my career, and my career eats up my life, and I don't have as much time. Then I, I pursue marriage, and I, I you know, want to start a family. And, and let me tell you something, man. It does not ever stop. And then eventually you go, oh, now I'm retired. Yeah, and you got one foot in the grave. Let me just tell you right now, this is the time to start walking with God. You know, a preacher, I just got saved a couple years ago, and I'm in my middle, my, I'm, I'm 35, I'm 40 years old. Okay, then fine, start now. Right. Well, I'm, I'm only 10 years old, start now. Right. I'm 15, start now. <laughs> he says, early will I seek thee. Look at he says here, my soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. You say, well, it's a picture of a Christian in this life on this world. Lord, I, I need something from out of this world. You know what I need? I need communion with him. The habit for beginning and ending your day should be the habit of prayer. The Bible says pray without ceasing. I remember Dr. Rutman talking about this. I don't know if someone recently met, I think Brother Jason did, Brother Young did maybe, and, and, and talking about Bob Jones Sr. and how he would, he'd be talking to someone, and as he, oh, he's an old Methodist preacher, uh, not even a ba- It's so funny because most b- people that go to BJU are Baptists, but started by a Methodist guy, old-time Methodist preacher, and here's this old-time Methodist, and he's, he's walking with someone and talking to him. As, as he's talking to me, he goes, yeah, well, that's, that's good. Lord, would you help me? Would you give her wisdom? Would you help her with this? And, this? and, and then you could never tell. Is he talking to me? Is he talking to God? Man, if you've got that kind of relationship with, with God, you've got something going. The Bible says, pray without ceasing. It says to be instant in prayer. You know what you want? You want instant Amazon. Anybody notice Amazon delivery times are getting longer now during the holidays. You want to be instant in everything, every, every other part of your life. How about being instant in prayer? You know what that means? You are at any moment in time able to stop what you're doing and have fellowship with God. If where you're at, who you're with, what you're listening to, what you're watching, what you're thinking about doesn't allow that, you're in the wrong place. 
Maybe not geographically, but spiritually. You know what you ought to be able to do? Whatever's going on, talk to the Lord. You know the story about Nehemiah. The Bible says that he's presented with a challenge, and the Bible says he spoke to the Lord. Just like that. Right there in front of the king, he has a prayer with God, and the Lord answered him. You say, what is that? Being instant in prayer. Can I ask you, is prayer a priority? Or is it a leftover thing? Well, when I get to it. Uh, look, look back at Acts 16. I'm going to give you this, and we'll be done. Prayer is powerful. You want to move some stuff around? Pray. Pray. Look at Acts chapter 16. You want God to bless our building situation? Pray. You, you want God to bless our church and see people continue to get saved? Pray. Uh, you you want to see miracles in your life? Pray. You, you want to see uh, God take your family that you thought would never get saved and watch them slowly? I appreciated Brother Jason Young's testimony about his family because it brings to life, no matter who your family are, if you're willing to pray for them and witness to them, God can save them. <laughs> Look at Acts chapter 16 one more time. We're coming back to where we just left. And let me just say, prayer is powerful. Uh, look at verse number 25. The Bible says, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners, what? Prayer is a, pu- a private thing, but can I say this? You will never be publicly who you ought to be if you're not willing to do in private what God wants you to do. You are not, you are not as strong as you think you are out there without first on your own privately having a prayer life with the Lord. Can I say in verse number 26 that prayer gets things moving? Look at verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. You know what you want? God, would you move some things in my... It's not going to happen without prayer. And let me say this as well. Uh, There's some doors that God wants to open your life. Look at verse 26. And immediately all the doors were what? You want God to open some doors? Pray. You want some chains to fall off? Look at the end of verse 26. Got some old habits you wish would just... You want to get over? Pray. The Bible says their bands were loosed. You know what it says about Peter? You don't have to go there, but in Acts 12, you know what it says? The church, prayer was made without ceasing of the church when he was locked up. What does God do? He brings him out. The chains fell off. How? Prayer. You ever think maybe the reason why you haven't gotten victory over some things is because you're doing it all on your own? And you're not asking for God's help. You're supposed to be a Christian. You know what it means? Christ-like. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Can I point out, before he begins his public ministry, what does he do? Praise. Before he chooses his disciples, praise. Before his disciples face that storm at sea, he prays. Before he goes to the cross, he prays. When he's on the cross, he prays. You want to be like Jesus Christ? Get your prayer life in order. Start offering that incense. Let's all stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, we come to you tonight in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the privilege of prayer. Lord, it's such a broad subject. I, I did not do it justice. I know that in one message, but Lord, I pray you take some of the things that were said, Lord, and, and implant them in the hearts of your people. And Lord, if there are some believers here that have a cold, stale prayer life and maybe just kind of robotic and going through the motions, would you help them? Would you help them break down a little bit tonight, Lord, and realize that Christian life becomes living, it becomes exciting, it becomes fervent. The world talks about hot this and this is hot and that's hot. Lord, I pray that Christians would want to have a fervent prayer life. Christians in this church. Father, there's great power that we're missing out on. You don't need new machines and new mechanisms and new methods. Lord, you just want some men and women yielded to you. I know that. I know it comes through prayer. Lord, there's some defenses.
spiritual wickedness attacking, Lord, and one of the best ways to defend ourselves is by walking with you. Christian, can I just throw this out there? A bully won't attack when you have a strong bodyguard with you. When you're walking with Jesus Christ, you know what it does? It can't keep the devil at bay. doesn't mean it won't ever pick on you. But boy, when you're on your own and you're doing it on your own, you can't, you're never going to win. We're talking about spiritual warfare. Especially if you talk about these last days. You know what the church is so, I don't mean our church, but at large, the body of Christ, you know, everyone's trying to reinvent the church and reinvent. It's simple, fundamental, basic stuff. Walk with your God. Talk with your Creator. Go to your Savior. Brother Tyler mentioned a number of weeks ago, tell it to Jesus. You got some lost friends and family you want to get here to church? Tell it to Jesus. You got some areas of struggle in your life? See, some of you adults think when I say things like things are slipping with some of you, oh, that's the teenagers. No, talking to some of you adults. The response is different. Your face looks different. You say, what is that? Well, when Moses walked with God and he met God in that mountain, you know what the Bible says? His face was so bright. It shone so bright. They had to put a veil over his face. <laughs> I think it'd be great if someone's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You've been spending so much time with Jesus, I can't, I can't even look at you. <laughs> Let me tell you, I've had people tell me they don't want to look at me, but it's not for that reason. I'd love it to be for that reason. Grab your blue hymnals, Christians, as these pray. We'll let them pray, give them time to do it. Go to 361. 361 as we close tonight. 361. 